Costanza. What, what is that you're reading over there? That looks pretty tasty. It's a calzone, sir. Calzone, huh? Yeah, let's see it. Pass that on down. Let's get a little look at that. Pickstein wants a little taste. Come on, come on. Yeah, sit down there. That's a good boy. Okay, let's see. Hey, what's in this thing? Uh, cheese, pepperoni, uh, eggplant. Uh... Eggplant, huh? Mm, that's a hell of a thing. All right, all right. Back to business. Here you go. Very good, very good. Excellent, excellent little calzone you got there, Costanza. Okay, I'm a little jealous. All right, here we go. Like I told you last week, the renovation of the press box is taking too long. All right. Well, you know, that eggplant was very good. Very good. Everybody out. I got eggplant on my mind. Costanza, go get me a couple of calzones right now. Prado, move it out. Pick Stein wants an eggplant calzone. He must have one. Everybody out. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello, Ivan. Hello, Stephen. And hello to you, our listeners. Welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. We're a Seinfeld podcast out of Melbourne, Australia, and every week we take a random episode of Seinfeld and examine the secondary characters from it. And this is our fourth last episode ever. A underrated season seven episode uh, we're doing this week is The Calzoni. The Calzoni, that's right, the 20th episode of that series. And yeah, there's not too long to go, my friend. I mean, we've basically powered through the entire series of Seinfeld and we only have a few episodes left. It's uh, going to be quite bittersweet finishing this one up it's been uh, four years of uh, some great times yeah no it uh it's it's taken us further than i ever thought was possible and uh not that yeah. i thought we wouldn't get through it but uh you know when you start something uh with the intent of it taking years um it always seems like a massive task but uh we're almost at the end which is awesome it feels like a great achievement and uh we've, we've picked up lots of awesome listeners on the way which is the main reason why we do it but uh yeah it's going to be sad as well like you said very bittersweet indeed yeah, and uh, speaking of the number four, which is a recurring theme for this week, Steve, uh, this is actually our fourth anniversary, the day that this episode comes out, So, uh, <laughs> to our non-Patreon subscribers. So uh, it's very, very apt, our fourth final episode and uh, four years doing this. So uh, yeah, weird, huh? Yeah, a, um, a, a nice little coincidence there. Yeah, four years ago, yeah. considering, I mean, we only knew each other for probably about four months, actually, before we decided to do, probably even three months before we decided to do a podcast yeah. and then maybe four or five months when it actually happened. If that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I started working uh, in the same team as you uh, at the company that we both work at. And um, we befriended each other pretty quickly over our love of Simpsons and Seinfeld and, and whatnot. And uh, I think both of us wanted to do a podcast and we thought, well, let's do one together. And uh, we threw around a few ideas, And but I don't want to be a secondary character is uh, is what happened. And uh, yeah, here we are four years later. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. a fantastic journey and uh, one that I will be very disappointed to see come to an end. You'll be, you will be hearing us more often you know, in the near future, but we'll give more details about that in the future. Exactly right. We've got uh, lots in the pipeline over the next little while beyond this yeah. podcast. Anyway, let's not get bogged down too much in the sads. Uh, let's get on with this episode. Uh, before we do, though, if you want to get in touch, you can email us, bidwabarspodcast at gmail.com. You can say hello on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. And we do have a TikTok and a Discord as well. Both of those are pretty much dead. Uh, and at this point, there's no point <laughs> us uh, activating them, really, or getting uh, getting them going, considering, like we just said at the top of the episode, we are winding down the podcast. But if for some reason you want to join our uh, dead TikTok or Discord accounts, they are there. Uh, you can also yeah. uh, help us out by rating us or reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. And obviously, you can listen to all of our previous episodes on your podcast platform uh, that you normally listen to podcasts through. And uh, finally, you can support us financially, too. That's right. We are on Patreon. 
PayPal for one-off donations if you think that we're deserving of your coin. And we also have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Bibbobash. You get this episode earlier than everyone else, as well as some bonus content. And something, Stephen, which isn't actually dead, it's pretty much alive and kicking. We have a Facebook page about Seinfeld called Seinfeldisms, the largest page, or is it the, the largest community uh, on Facebook uh, for Seinfeld? Is that right? I, I got in trouble from you for using the wrong word last week. Oh, I didn't get you in trouble. I just wanted to clarify, <laughs> uh, just to be accurate. Yeah. yeah, it's the largest Facebook group on group. Uh, about yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah, so a page is you know where the owner of the page posts the content. A group is where anyone can post and it's much more interactive. So uh, yeah, we, we have the biggest group, which is, uh, which is awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. So check that one out. Anyway, Seinfeld-isms, it's the intersection of reality and Seinfeld in our lives. And Stephen, I have one Seinfeldism this week. What about you? Yeah, I've got one as well. So this happened only 20 minutes ago, Steve. I was on the couch just before we started recording and uh, my fiance put up uh, or she cast a, a Facebook video on the Chromecast on the TV and it was a Comedy Central skit and it had Tina Fey, Amy Schumer. I forgot who the other one was and it also had Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It was like a skit where Amy Schumer is walking through like this forest or this kind of thing and they see the other three having like a high tea sort of thing and there's a celebration of uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus becoming unfuckable. So it's actually the day where she's, uh, you know, too old to uh, be considered fuckable. It's like a skit kind of thing. That was pretty funny and then they do like all these ritual kind of things. It's pretty funny. This rings a bell. I feel like I've seen it or someone's told me about it but the unfuckable thing rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. And it's like she's celebrating the fact that, you know, she's 60 now and, uh, <laughs> you know, not as many. She's not as desired as she used to be. Yeah, obviously poking fun at Hollywood's obsession with youth over, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, not not embracing people's uh, age and experience and uh it, uh, yeah, having a go at the shallowness of Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, it was actually it was actually a pretty clever skit. And you see Amy Schumer freak out because she's she's obviously like what twenty years younger than them, or you know thirty years younger than them. So she's like, oh shit, is this what's going to happen? Yeah, she's currently yeah. according to the skit, she's fuckable, but uh, her unfuckableness is uh, you know is only a matter of time. <laughs> yes, indeed. But anyway, that was my Seinfeldism, buddy. What about you? Nice. Well, mine's not really a Seinfeldism uh, in the classic sense uh, or our classic sense, but I decided to. I'm a big you know, regular listener of a podcast might have picked up over time that I'm a big fan of metal, sort of my bread and butter music. I started a new Instagram account called Sign Metal. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so I'm just posting every day or so I'm just posting a couple of pictures of any sort of combination of heavy metal and Seinfeld so you know there's tons out there I've got a couple of like heavy metal slash uh, Seinfeld t-shirts the band Grindfeld, which we've talked about in the past comes to mind there's all sorts of stuff so if you're a metal fan or if you just like some cool content uh, yeah check it out Sign Metal on our Instagram lovely plug there excellent yes. all right Seinfeld news mate how many articles this week uh, just two this week, uh, continuing on with the uh, lower amount than normal, same as last week. The first one, uh, this is not specifically Seinfeld related. However, it is a real life event that uh, is directly relatable to Seinfeld. So in uh, and where it happened, it's it's a it's it's not a nice thing that happened, but uh, you know, for Seinfeld relatability, I guess it's a positive. So in New York through the week, uh, an 83 year old woman was uh, catching the subway home from wherever she was, I don't know. And uh, on her way home, she uh, after she got off the, the the subway, she was actually mugged by a man, and uh, he I think he was after a purse, uh, and she sort of fought back, or maybe he slipped or something. It didn't work out exactly as he intended, and uh, the only thing that he stole from her was actually a loaf of bread. You're kidding oh my god (laughs) i don't think he would have run off with it with glee like jerry did he probably would have just dropped it and ran off (laughs) oh my god that's funny it's actually good that the lady was able to escape that's good yeah, to hear. Yeah, I mean, the, the article yeah. that I read didn't really talk too much about, you know, whether she, I'm sure she was shaken up and probably taken to hospital just to make sure she was okay. You know, I'm sure this would be quite hard for anyone to deal with. But uh, oh, yeah. the fact that they didn't talk about any serious injury or, or trauma makes me believe that, you know, she got out of it 
relatively unscathed, which is good. Ah, uh, good for her. Yep. And, and like you said, the uh, assailant only got away with a loaf of bread, um, not her personal belongings or money or anything like that. And uh, yeah, and obviously the relatability with Seinfeld is uh, the Marble Rye, where Jerry decides to <laughs> steal the eponymous Marble Rye from uh, Mabel Choate. Well, yeah, that's right, in, in the Rye. And uh, hopefully when, uh, you know, this guy gets caught and, uh, you know, he gets put on trial, she can testify against him. Yeah, and hopefully he's sentenced to uh, a year in prison. Yeah, that'd be nice. It'd be good for him. Yeah. Uh, second <laughs> bit of news uh, is through the week, the Critics' Choice Awards happened. You know, we're in the middle of award season. Uh, and this is sort of one of the more, I guess, industry award ceremonies as a opposed to like a big public war ceremony like the Oscars or the Emmys or something like that. And Jerry Seinfeld, uh, as well as a newer comedian, I've never heard of her. Her name is Michelle Bateau, or B- Bateau, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. They both All right, yep. for the best comedy special. So they both won the same award. And uh, Jerry won for, well, Jerry co-won for his uh, latest Netflix documentary, 23 Hours to Kill. Oh, yeah, from last year. Yep. Okay. Well, good yeah. for him. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. And uh, Michelle Bateau's comedy is called Welcome to Batopia. Obviously, a play on words with her name there. And mm. uh, yeah, another another sort of live stand-up comedy special, much like uh, 23 Hours to Kill. So uh, definitely, I'm definitely probably going to check that out. Oh, that'd be awesome if it was if it involves Michelle. That'd be wicked being like, you know, next to my idol. Be fabulous. Yeah, I mean, you know, winning winning is, you know, speaks for itself, but winning alongside a legend like Jerry would sort of just sweeten it for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure her profile will be raised. Indeed. Like most things these days, all the people who were nominated and all the winners just came along to the, the ceremony remotely. And uh, Jerry Seinfeld, you can watch his little acceptance speech on uh, on YouTube. Uh, if you just type in Critics' Choice Award, Jerry Seinfeld or something like that, you will be able to see it. Yep. It does you know, give a nice little uh, speech, you know, acknowledging not only his win, but uh, he also talked a bit about the importance of critics. You know, a lot of people don't really like critics. They've got the, uh, you know, they're, they're critics. Like, What's the deal know, with critics? Exactly. A lot of a lot of creative people, you know, put their their art and their their selves out on the line and there's always that fear or risk of getting sort of panned by critics and I'm sure that, that would be very demoralizing. But uh, Jerry, you know, actually in his speech acknowledged the importance of critics and thanked them specifically because uh, according to him, you know, critics make people uh, better at whatever their craft is. So I thought that was a nice little acknowledgement. Okay, at least he wasn't hanging shit on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think I don't think you know, Jerry's not one to say many mean things about people. He's he's always quite polite and nice. You know, even if it's about someone or a group of people he may privately not like too much, he's always pretty diplomatic in that sense. But uh, I just thought it was nice to acknowledge critics who are you know normally not very well liked, especially in creative industries. No, oh, true, true. But anyway, yeah, that's awesome. Good on him. Yeah. So that's all the uh, Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, buddy. When we come back, we are celebrating our fourth anniversary of Bidwabas by talking about the secondary characters from our fourth last. Last podcast episode from season seven, The Calzone. Hello, folks. Matt McCoy here, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to be a secondary character. The Calzone from Season 7, Episode 20, was first aired in the US on April 25th, 1996, directed by Andy Ackerman and written by the duo Alec Berg and Jeff Schaefer. George gets Steinbrenner hooked on eggplant calzones from a local Italian restaurant called Paisano's, but George gets banned from the restaurant when he's accused of stealing from the tip jar. He then asks Kramer to pick up the calzones, but Kramer gets kicked out when he tries to pay with pennies. George's last resort in getting the calzones is Newman, Wayne Knight, who wants a cut of every delivery. Meanwhile, while Kramer will only wear clothing if it's straight from the dryer and eventually the oven. 
Uh, other secondary characters in the episode, John D'Aquino, he plays Todd Gack, who's uh, Elaine's, well, sort of love interest in this episode in a very roundabout kind of way. Dylan Taze, she plays Nikki. She was credited as Danette Taze for the episode. Peter Alas plays Mario the counter guy. And of course, George Steinbrenner makes an appearance. We were saying off air before, Steve, that this is probably the most screen time he's had. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, pretty close. Uh, he's obviously the body was played or the, the actor on screen is Nit Lee Bear, but the voice, of course, is by Larry David. A couple of other minor characters. Greg Collins plays the policeman who pulls Nikki and Jerry over. And Jane A. Johnston plays Todd's mother. I couldn't find a credit for Todd's father, though. I looked everywhere. No luck. Oh, okay. Maybe he was just a random extra or a crew or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, he's not even like in the uncredited or nothing. He's just like, it's like Todd's mother. Here, here she is. Okay, cool. What about the father? Okay. <laughs> Sweet. Just some random. They pulled out of uh, <laughs> pulled out of some department. Yeah, he was probably you know, one of the crew members, and they just said, "Hey, I'll, I'll get extra fifty bucks if you say this line." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> and he was able to eat for the week. Good yeah. for him. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> So a bit of trivia about the episode, Steve, which actually was inspired or inspired the later episode, The Summer of George. Alec Berg, the, one of the writers of the episode, he had a crush on uh, the actress Dylan Taze, who plays Nikki. And over the phone, Berg convinced Taze to go to the Oscars with him because he was writing jokes for the ceremony at the time, like for, I forgot which year it was. He didn't say. And um, the story goes, unfortunately, when he went to pick her up, he found out that she had a boyfriend, a photographer who wasn't too thrilled to see him. And uh, Dylan Taze had actually rejected, neglected to tell uh, Alec about that on the phone and that was uh, inspired in the storyline for the summer of George you know where Jerry goes out on the date with the woman to take her to the theatre and then there's Lyle oh, yeah. my favourites I love Lyle yeah yeah so he, he's that's the inspiration for the summer of George but yeah, yeah true story so the actress who played Nikki uh, you know didn't tell Alec about uh, her boyfriend at the time it's a bit uh, awkward when he turned up <laughs> I imagine for Dylan I mean unless Alec was like openly flirting with her maybe she thought well even though I'm, I'm with someone the photographer you know, just being seen at the Oscars, you know, is, is important, I guess, just for profile, especially if she's an up and coming actress. So maybe for her, it was more of just a almost strategic, you know, move to be seen, especially with a writer of the biggest show at the time. Where yeah. It was hoping, you know, it was more of a romantic gesture. But uh, yeah. Very smart by her. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The, the one thing I noticed that's different between um, her photographer boyfriend, this bit of trivia, I'm reading the same thing that you just read, uh, mm. says that he, he wasn't too thrilled to see Alec. But uh, Lyle yeah. is just completely happy-go-lucky, isn't threatened by Jerry at all. Completely opposite. You know, he's almost happy. He, he almost considers like Jerry a mate. Yeah, yeah. And eventually um, he gets dumped by uh, by his girlfriend and then she wants to be with Jerry. <laughs> so, but I don't think that, that happened in real life though. No, 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 no. I don't think that happened at all. <laughs> No. And uh, would you believe it, Stephen? We have so many listeners from Canada, you know, who listen to us and there's so many Canadian fans on, you know, Seinfeldisms on the Facebook page and stuff. I could not believe this trivia fact when I read it. Montreal is mentioned in the episode. It is the only city from Canada ever mentioned on the entire series. Would you believe it? Yeah, it uh, it surprised me when I read that. That's I mean, stunning. I know. I thought at least once Vancouver or Toronto would have been mentioned uh, or just Nothing. Canada. I'm sure Canada is mentioned in general, but uh, yeah. it's the only city in Canada that's mentioned. The only Canada reference I can think of off the top of my head was when Kramer, you know, they say you want to watch the Super Bowl or something and Kramer says I only watch Canadian football. <laughs> yeah. That's really the only Canadian reference I can think of. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm really stunned. You're right. There's like not Toronto or Vancouver, nothing, Calgary, none, none of those cities were ever mentioned. That's, that's really stunning. Yeah, no, it is. It is. The first bit of trivia I have is um, the creed of the uh, United States Postal Service, according to George, says uh, neither rain nor 
blah, blah, blah. But uh, in reality, it's actually neither snow nor rain. So George is trying to make a point to Newman that, you know, he should be working in the rain because it's the first thing in their, their creed or their commitment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's actually, it's actually wrong. It's the second thing. The second thing. Okay. So Newman's kind of half right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, George still has a point. But oh, he does, yeah. Even if the whole creed was just about working in the rain, it wouldn't bother Newman. Newman just does what Newman wants to do. Yeah, he just calls in sick. He's got so much clout at the USPS, so you can just get away with it. Yeah, he's a bit of a prima donna. Yeah, prima donna with lots of leverage. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Funny thing is, in the last scene, uh, Steinbrenner states that he smells a pennant, and uh, later that year, the New York Yankees won the pennant uh, 15 years after their last one. So, Because uh, I think our understanding was, Steve, that I think in the 90s, like the Yankees were like, what, a joke team? They were like a former, you know, a team who had like former glory and had like a wonderful history of like successful, you know, players and, you know, won lots of like World Series and stuff. But in like the late 80s, early 90s, they were a bit of like, what, a bit of like a fallen has been kind of team. So yeah, it was interesting how like this episode aired and then they won a pennant straight after, which uh, kicked off the whole thing them yeah it's one of those fortunate little coincidences it reminds me a bit of uh the episode that we did last week with the the non-fat yogurt how they kind of had to film two endings depending on who uh, was going to win the uh, mayoral election yeah yeah like obviously at this stage during filming whenever this episode was filmed they didn't know who was going to be in the final but it just kind of reminds me that where they you know the episode unintentionally or unknowingly predicts an outcome yeah and then in the episode the millennium i think season eight uh, george is driving around with the super bowl trophy <laughs> connected to the back of the car to try and get fired so. Oh, the, um, you know, not the Super Bowl, the um, oh, the, the um, World Series. The World Series. Sorry, the, no, yeah. sorry, World, sorry, shit, Super Bowl's NFL, isn't it? Oh, crap. Yeah. I got them confused. Sorry, World Series. Sorry, sorry, American uh, sports fans. Yes, we love our uh, ball sports in Australia. <laughs> Love sports ball. Go local sports team. Go local sports team. Go local. Yes. Yeah, we do love our sports ball. Yes, sorry, World Series. That's what I mean. He has a World Series trophy in the back of the car, you know, the, in the, you know, connected to the back trying to ruin it. So, uh, yeah, there you go. So, in the mid-90s, the Yankees were revitalized. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of uh, the Lakers and the Celtics. You know, up until the late 80s, they were the sort of the teams to beat, really, for the last sort of 40 or 50 years, more or less. Um, you know, they, every mm. decade, they had, you know, different greats. Like the 70s, they had Will Chamberlain. And then the 80s, they had uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, you know, the 60s, I think the 50s and 60s, the Celtics won eight straight NBA championships. But then by the 90s- Yeah, 50s, I think, yeah. Yeah, 50s and 60s. By the 90s, both teams were were kind of, yeah, they, they went through this like long drought of, and it's not like they were just an average team. They were both very bad. Yeah. You know, and obviously the, the Bulls, Bulls destroyed them. The, 90s. the yeah, Bulls I mean, just dominated. No, no one's, no yeah. one's stood a chance, you know, you got Jordan and the rest. But, uh, you know, when when they kind of rebuilt in the early 2000s with like Shaq and Kobe Bryant and the Celtics, I, I kind of lost interest in basketball in the mid 2000s. So I'm sure the Celtics have improved in some ways as well. But yeah, I think every team, even the legendary teams go through, you know, they can't sort of be on top forever. They have to have, no. uh, you know, periods of time where, Things just don't work out, but, you know, they come back mm -hmm. around. Rebuilding phases, they call them. Yeah, exactly. We were talking before about, you know, go local sports team. One time I was uh, watching an AFL game. I went to an AFL game with a friend and her American now husband. And uh, he he was aware of AFL because he'd lived in Melbourne for a little while, but he didn't know much about it and he'd never been to a game. And uh, it was actually quite funny because he was he was making fun of his own ignorance by yelling out. He's a really like loud kind of boisterous guy. And sure. uh, he was saying things like kick a touchdown or like, you know, <laughs> like pass, pass the baseball. Like he was 
intentionally making yeah. it up. He had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Foul ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just like <laughs> kick a touchdown or like, you know, kick a home run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to try and, you know, <laughs> stir people up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was yeah. just nice that he was like, I have no idea what's going on and I'm, I'm just going to make light of it. It was very fun. Oh, very good. Right? Does he watch AFL now as far as you're aware? Like he's figured I, it out? I haven't talked to them for a while, but uh, okay, yeah, he seemed to have a good time. I mean, it was a sold out match. It was at the MCG, which for our oh, fantastic. Australian listeners is like, you know, the stadium in Australia and a, and a packed out match at the MCG is 90, 95,000 people in the atmosphere. Even if you don't like sports or like the sport you're watching, you can't beat 100,000 people cheering on. It's just, it's electric. So yeah, you, it's, you know, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he had a good time. Um, you know, I think by the end he had a slightly better understanding of it. And uh, that's yeah, good. Maybe, maybe he's a passionate fan now. I don't know. Oh, who knows? He, he's probably barracking or, you know, supporting one of the teams. He might move back to America and start, you know, start an AFL league there. Why not? I think there are a couple of like amateur ones over there. You yeah, know. there probably is. Yeah, who knows? But yeah, if you play AFL in the US, hello, let us know. <laughs> We'd be curious. Yeah, but no padding. No, no padding. That's right. Yes. It's all uh, no helmets, just balls. Just, ooh, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about some secondary characters, huh? Yeah. All right. Let's talk. start with uh, Todd Gack, probably the most prominent secondary in this episode. Well, besides Steinbrenner and Newman, of course. He's played by actor, producer, and writer John Diaquino. He's most known for No Way Out and Quantum Leap. Uh, he's appeared in other TV shows, including Sequest, DSV, Jag, and Corey in the House. So I feel like with Todd, he is a uh, he's a very intelligent person. I mean, he can outsmart like Elaine, and then he can outsmart someone like Nikki, who always seems to get her way no matter what. Yeah, no, he's, uh, he's definitely someone who is, I don't know, he's good at, I guess, playing the game, you know, whatever game that is. He's a, yeah, he's a, he's someone who uses his mind. And uh, at first, I guess it's kind of harmless. You know, he's just, as Jerry describes it, he's found a dating loophole, which, you know, is not, not super manipulative or super creepy. But uh, as the episode goes on, you know, you realize that he's actually just, you know, using his intelligence to, to sort of leverage you know, having having that over these women. And he doesn't do anything horrible, but uh, he is a no. bit, he's a bit skeezy. A bit skeezy. I mean, he doesn't just come out directly and say, you know, we're going out on a date or something. It's like he has like a fear of commitment or something like that. Like maybe he's, I feel like he's probably too scared to like say to someone, look, we're like boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever. And he probably, he probably just kind of wants the illusion of like going out on a date, but maybe he doesn't want to kind of express it in his own way. I feel like maybe because his parents turn up in a scene later on when Elaine meets them. And obviously, you know, when you're dating someone and you meet their parents, you don't usually meet them right away. It usually takes, what, a month or two before you, <laughs> you know, before you meet them. And I, I feel like maybe Todd's parents have probably said to him that, you know, he's getting older, you know, he's not married, and they've probably tried to push him to find someone to settle down with. And maybe Todd is kind of doing it in a roundabout way to kind of impress his parents. So that's why his parents turned up. He wanted to say, oh, look, mum and dad, I found someone, you know, even though he's not like, even though it, it's kind of, it's hard to establish that Elaine and Todd are actually partners, if you know what yeah. I mean. No, I think you're right. I think, you know, he is getting a bit older. He's like mid to late thirties, I guess, maybe even pushing 40. Yeah. And and even if it's not just his parents telling him that he should sort of get a move on, it's probably coming from, from himself as well. He probably wants to settle down or, you know, get married and maybe have a family or something. And maybe he's just trying to fast track the dating process. So he's kind of- Oh, sure. okay. The other way around. Like, yep. Okay. It's like short-circuiting the dating process by, you know, because when you say, it's not always the case with everyone, but 
you know, dating is a fairly established routine. You know, you, you meet someone, you usually go for like a drink and then if you, or maybe coffee, something a bit more light. And then if you like them, you might go for dinner or something a bit more serious. And then, you mm. know, over time you might spend the night and then meet the parents. Like it, it, it's not exactly the same for every couple, but it tends to follow a reasonably standard kind of routine. Yeah. Well, Jerry said once in a comedy sketch that um, going on a date's like going for a job interview, except yeah. you end up with all your clothes off at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's a naked job interview. Um, naked job interview. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or a job interview with nudity at the end. That's mm. what you hired, though. You know, a lot of a lot of the time, you don't you don't meet the uh, the the performance criteria to uh, to, no. to be employed. If you get my drift. Um, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I sometimes, do. Sometimes it's like uh, maybe not, but uh, you know, and and just, just no. I, I like your idea of you know he's trying to sort of find someone, and I just thought, well. Why would he intentionally say that it's not dating, even though it is? I, I think Elaine's right in that. Hang on, we are dating. Why you call it dating? And Todd's just trying to say, well, why can't just two people go out? I think he's trying to short circuit the dating process and accelerate it because as he gets older, he has less time. So by calling it not dating, you're kind of eliminating the need to go through that normal kind of process, you know, which can take months. And and he's just going straight yeah. to, do I like this person? Do my parents like these people within a date or two? He's kind of accelerating because he has less time. And I think- Okay, yeah, yeah that makes I sense. Think, yeah. Yeah, I think by calling it anything but dating, he's kind of he's he's kind of you know he's taking that expected time frame away, especially from you know the, the women that he meets. Yeah, I mean you know what they're doing constitutes a date. I mean you're going out on like a Saturday night, you know, well opposite sex, but you know of course same sex as well. You know, you know you you're going with someone who you know is either opposite or same sex, or whatever, and yeah, you're going out to to do whatever, and uh, yeah, that constitutes a date. Yeah, and I mean you know a date a date doesn't always imply romantic or sexual uh, intentions. Like you can go on a date with a friend and it's just you know you're just hanging out with someone you like and it's platonic and that's fine hmm. but I, I think elaine's just trying to make a point of like well we're not just this this is not a platonic interaction like there's you know you have some sort of agenda here and i'm just trying to figure out why you're not calling it dating and you know i get some people are against labels and i respect that in some circumstances but elaine's not trying to make him categorize it as dating for a specific reason she's just trying to sort of have a general understanding of what's going on and dating is just you know a, a generally used term to describe you know, you meet someone you like to see if there's some sort of traction and we'll take it from there. Yeah, she's trying to cross-examine like what Todd's intentions are. Yeah, yeah she's basically saying, Todd, are you, do you want to proceed further with this relationship or do you just want to have a bit of fun or like what are you yeah. what are you trying to achieve here? Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think she's worried about the fact that he's not saying the word dating specifically. But again, dating is a word, is probably the most commonly used word. And in, in her situation, it's just shorthand for what are we doing? Is this dating? You know, you might not want to say mm. dating specifically, but is this something even akin to dating? You need to give me some, <laughs> you know, something here so I know where yeah. you're coming from. Um, where you stand, yeah. Yeah, and, and the fact that he's like, no, no, it's, you know, we're just two people who want to hang out. That's fine. But then he goes in to kiss her. She's like, hang on, what are you doing? Like, and, and I, mm. I'm on, on Elaine's side in this of like, you don't have to say the word dating specifically, but there's, there's no. there is some agenda here that is at least akin to dating. So either use dating, the word, or something like it don't just say it's nothing because it's obviously something yeah which makes sense i mean you know because that's that's why i thought maybe todd kind of wanted to kind of just go to lane on you know to try and make it look like he was going on a date you know to try and impress his parents but, you, but you're saying that he actually does want to you know settle down and stuff so but he because he's so time poor he just wants to go through he wants to cut through all the do a shortcut and just go straight into the the relationship yeah i think so again because i think it's it's not true in every circumstance but if you are dating someone if you are just actively dating in the world you know and you meet someone again that that relationship to turn into something from dating to something more serious a lot of the time follows a standard time frame which can take months but if you kind of want to short circuit that or shortcut that 
you say, well, it's not dating. We're just hanging out. And that way I can get away with introducing it to the parents because it's not part of the normal dating script. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying if you like my parents and and you kind of like, yeah, you, you're accelerating something that normally takes a few months. And by by omitting the word dating or just saying it's, you know, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. You, you're just crunching it down to a very succinct time frame so that he can just hmm. cycle through women or potential de- or potential partners in a shorter amount of time until he meets someone yeah. who, you know who wants to be with him or is on the same page i think he immediately is turned off by elaine because elaine's sort of pushing back on him you know he's got an idea of like well i'll kind of lead elaine on and not use the word dating and she's not having a bar of it she's like hang on what are mm. we doing here and then he's like well this you know this is not going to work this this doesn't fit my plan so i'll immediately go to nikki yeah i'll go to nikki and i, I think he he's done the same for her to nikki as well and I think yeah. he's probably done this several times, you know. He's kind of led women on and then women don't know where he wants to stand and they've probably just broken up with him. They've had enough. So I think he's probably done the same thing for, with Nikki too. Yeah, I think I think it's just in the in the time frame of like I just need to cycle through as many women as I can and you know, when I meet the right person who doesn't have a problem with how I describe dating as a process or as a as a ritual if you like or as a format whatever you want to say, you know, when I meet the right person you know, then I'll try and make it more serious or something. I think he's probably been lonely for the rest of his life. I don't I don't think he's found someone. I think all the women have been impatient and, you know, they've kind of just left because they don't understand what Todd wants. And uh, I feel like he's going to be a perpetual loner. Yeah, I think so. I think he just needs to just sort of not stick to a script, but just, you know, be a bit more honest and just say, yeah, it's yeah. dating if you want it to be. Like, it doesn't have to be dating specifically. It doesn't have to be something like exact from the get-go. You've got to, I think, you know, when, you, when you're meeting people and when you're interacting with people and they're putting their emotions out there and they're trying to find something a bit more serious, you've got to at least give them an idea of where you're coming from. If you're just 100% <laughs> vague 100% of the time, people will react like Elaine does. Like, well, hang on, like, I need to know something. It doesn't need to be, you don't need to tell me your specific intentions from the first date but you just need to give me something so i kind of at least know where you're at what you know what you want yeah i understand why i've said it but i understand why elaine is just a bit like just not really having a bar of it because it's like you need to give me something yeah you gotta you gotta give him something and he's certainly not dutch i don't think i think that's just uh, a mistake by kramer <laughs> Yeah it's, yeah, it's just one of Kramer's Yuck. like weird. Like last week again in the non-fat yogurt, when uh, you know he's insisting that they have to rush to get to the lab because when the when the frozen yogurt melts, the molecules change, and when they get to the to the lab, Jerry's like, "Does it matter if the frozen yogurt's melted?" And the lab tech is just like, "No." I think you know Kramer's <laughs> like Kramer's pretty um, he's pretty worldly. Like he knows a lot of weird things and a lot of weird people that most people might not know much about. But he's also got mm. a lot of like just unfactual garbage floating around in his brain. Yeah, ignorance. I, yeah. I think this is kind of like that where he's just like, well, it must be Dutch. It's not based on anything. It's just a weird Kramer fact. It's a good line though. Yeah, oh, it's it's great, you know. And then and then Jerry kind of repeats it later on. <laughs> oh yeah, mirroring Kramer, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, Todd Gack. We only see him in this episode, and uh, yeah, he um, I don't know. I guess for a lane storyline, he uh, yeah, he showed off a, a bit of stuff, and uh, yeah, he was a very uh, very different character. Yeah, he was one of the only people who kind of like completely had it over Elaine. Like Elaine, like you said at the top of uh, of Todd Gatt's uh, Todd Gack's analysis, you know, she's she's very sharp and she's. Probably, the, yeah. she is the smartest, at least intellectually smartest, out of the core four, um, and one of the smartest people on the show. Period. And the fact that Todd just sort of completely 
like under blindsides her, underhands her, yeah, yeah, is uh, <laughs> yeah, is a, is a testament to his intelligence and uh, one of the only people that I can think of who completely, at least initially, gets it over. Yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. Well, another character that Todd gets it over is a Nikki, another secondary. She's played by Dylan Taze. Uh, she's known for Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Waist Deep, and CSI New York. And Stephen, she starred in a commercial with Jason Alexander in the nineties for Rolled Gold Pretzel. Yeah, I saw this in the trivia list. Hmm, I've I, I got to go on YouTube and watch it. Yeah, sounds absolutely. interesting. Those pretzels are certainly making them thirsty or me thirsty, I'm sure. <laughs> I feel like with Nikki, you know, she's a very striking lady, very good looking, of course. I feel like she's been able to get away with this her whole life. I think she's been able to figure out how, been, how to manipulate people to get what she wants since a child or since being a child. But obviously, as an adult, she does it more in like a sexual kind of manner, obviously not as a kid. I feel like as a kid, she probably had like an innocent kind of manner, which helped her get what she wanted. And then when she matured and you know became an adult, she started doing things, trying to get like a male gaze or the men to have like the male gaze to try and, um, you know, to, to get stuff that she wants. Yeah. So I feel like it probably evolved as she got older. And yeah, she's been able to basically get anything she wants. Yeah. I just wanted to push back a tiny bit. I don't think she's manipulating people. She's not, I, I think she's just aware of the intoxicating presence that she has and that men just well, they're just dumbstruck by her beauty and by her by her energy or whatever you want to call it. But you know, she's not she's not being deceptive or dishonest or or anything like that. She's no, just, she's but she's using her looks to get has. stuff. Yeah, she's she's very yeah, straightforward. Yeah, yeah. She just says, "I want this. Can you please do this for me?" She she's not being deceptive or dishonest. She's just aware of her effect over people and most likely mostly men. I don't think she's doing it in an unethical way. She's just taking advantage of something that. You know, of situations, <laughs> you know, of, of this, of this mystique or this power or this aura or whatever you want to call it that she has. Yeah, and she doesn't even have to like you know expose her cleavage or you know wear skimpy clothing to get that. I mean, all, all she is like she has such an aura about her. You just got to look at her face, and you know, men yeah. are just hypnotized, and you know, she can do what she wants. Yeah, she doesn't have to sort of overtly sexualize herself or sexualize the situation, or she's not even very flirtatious. You know, she's just no, no, she's she's just very kind of just direct and normal and. But yeah, she's just got this energy or this intoxicating kind of presence about her. It's almost like a female Kavorka in a way. Almost, yeah. A Kavorka, yeah. You know, Kavorka is a, a bit more of like a primal sexual energy. Hers is just this like, you know, this, I mean, part of her attraction is that she's an objectively beautiful blonde woman. So there is a sexual element to her, but it's not this raw mm. sexual energy that, that Kramer no, apparently no. has. But it just reminds me in that, you know, it's this power that she has that she doesn't cultivate. It's just there and she's aware of it and she just takes advantage of it. Yeah. And then Jerry also like by by proxy takes advantage of it too. You know, he gets out yeah. of a speeding ticket and, and even when the cop pulls him up, he knows he's been speeding and Jerry knows that he's going to get away with it as soon as he gets pulled up. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, it's funny like because you think like if someone just gave me a brief description of, of Nikki's character in this episode, initially you'd think, well, hang on, she does sound a bit manipulative or she's a bit opportunistic. But it's funny that Jerry is actually, you know, she's not really doing anything wrong she's sort of just being used by jerry's the one that's being manipulated that's using her yeah being yeah, manipulated, he's, he's, yeah. he knows that he has that she has this power and he's using it to his advantage so he's yeah he's the one that's sort of uh taking well he's the one that's using it as an advantage but in a in a in a slightly more manipulative way 
So the joke is Jerry using it. I think so, yeah. Or, or, or you know, taking advantage of it. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, Fair and enough. I, and yeah. I mean, she's supposed to be a, uh, I guess, like a, a cliche or a st- she's supposed to be a, you know, representation of blonde, beautiful women and how, you know, there's that stereotype that beautiful people can just sort of get through life very easily. Like they don't- Yeah, they can just people, coast people through. Just, give them, yeah, give them people one. will just bend over backwards for them and do whatever they want because they're beautiful. People just will do that. And I mean, I guess that's true to a certain extent. You know, attractive people probably have it a bit easier than unattractive people um, yeah i'm sure they do get like some stuff that yeah. other you know like unattractive people might not get yeah and i mean you know attractiveness is a subjective thing but i'm just talking about like objective you know the, the way media presents attractiveness i guess you know yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure they get through life a tiny bit easier maybe a little bit and she's supposed to be a representation of that stereotype but in like an extreme manner where she can just where she just turns up or she just stands <laughs> in front of someone and they're almost like under a spell yeah and then they just basically she just says can i have this or that or can you not do you know give us a ticket and, and and it's done. Yeah, you know, and she's again, she's not being like manipulative or deceptive. She just right, okay, yeah. power and uses it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, well, I used the, the wrong term. <laughs> Oh no no! I, I don't mean to be too overly corrective. I just wanted to say that I don't think uh, I don't think what she's doing is um, inherently good. You know, like I'm sure she probably does use it to her advantage in in slightly more selfish ways sometimes. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I just don't think manipulative was exactly you know the right way to describe it. That's all. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, Todd eventually you know tries the old Dustin Hoffman Star Wars trick. And uh, what do you think happened with that relationship? I think they did eventually break up. But uh, do you think maybe Todd was trying to be like Jerry and exploiting? Uh, Nikki's kind of hidden talents? Oh, for sure. I mean, if he's willing to sort of pretend that he doesn't know something to go on a date, I, I don't think it's too much to like too much of a um of a stretch to think that he would also do what Jerry's doing as well. You know, he does <laughs> he, he does like kind of, you know, playing games a bit. I think he would be perfectly capable of also doing what Jerry does and using that that power she has to his advantage. Yeah, I think in a hypothetical like scene, maybe they both went to the movies and Nikki said, "Let's watch Star Wars and see if you're right." And there were it was a sold out session to like Star Wars, like a remastered edition or something. Yeah. And then Nikki, it was sold out, and then they ended up getting tickets. I could almost <laughs> so imagine yes. like like a bit of a, a battle between Todd, like not a real battle, but like a like a, a battle of powers, if you like. You know, Todd Gack. We oh yeah, he's quite, he's quite smart. Like he knows how to just not in like this Machiavellian way, but he knows how to sort of like play with people a bit and manipulate situations slightly to get something. And, you know, she doesn't do that, but she she has that power. People do it. So I think for her, you know, she has that power. She's under Jerry's thumb. Like he's walking a dog even when they're broken up. Um, yeah, when they break up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's under her spell. And Todd Gack, you know, that would be confronting to him because he's like, well, normally I'm the one that's sort of like playing the games and doing the stuff. And I, I could see like almost like a battle of wills in a way. A battle of wits, yeah. Well, it's funny because the difference, the strike difference between Todd and Nikki is Todd actively uses his uh, power, whereas Nikki passively uses it. Yeah. Nikki's power is passive, but she also, you know, she knows she knows it's there. It's not something she has to turn on. It's just there. But, you know, it does. <laughs> it is something that she is aware of. It's not just sort of. Sounds like a Seinfeld Avengers spinoff or something. Yeah. You know, like a <laughs> Justice League. Yeah, you know, it's not like pure good versus evil, but it's just like two people with different skills of getting people to do what they want. You know, Todd's a bit more of an intellectual mind game player and uh, Nikki's just intoxicatingly beautiful. And, uh, you know, yep. I, mean, I can see that causing a bit of like, bit of uh, push and pull between them. <laughs> I think so. That's why I don't think the relationship lasted either. No, no, no. I think it would have been. <laughs> it's almost like, um, you know, that philosophical conundrum of what would happen if a, a, a an unstoppable object uh, smashed into uh, an unmovable wall. 
You know, those two things mm. can't coexist. Like one, th no. those two things can't coexist in the universe. It's like Nikki's endlessly intoxicating beauty and uh, Todd Gack's, you know, brilliant ability to sort of trick women into to going on dates with him. You know, those two things would just not be sustainable. No, <laughs> the whole world would collapse on itself. I think so. Yeah, basically. If they went on more <laughs> than one date. It would just, the world gets sucked into a black hole. Yeah, that's right. And then Seinfeld gets cancelled a couple of seasons later. Look what happened. That was a butterfly that caused the uh, earthquake yeah, on the other side of the world or the, the, the typhoon, wave. whatever it is. Yeah. Tidal wave, yeah. Indeed. Well, uh, let's let's yeah. uh, line it up again. Why don't we talk about uh, Mario? Yes, Mario the counter guy, played by Peter Alice, known for Spider-Man 2, SWAT, and California Man. So he works at the Italian restaurant or takeaway place, Paisano's. I think he's probably likely the son of the original owner. I think Paisano's is probably like maybe his dad or granddad started it, and he's kind of like working there and also kind of maybe doing a bit of management or, or whatever, or maybe the dad still owns the business but doesn't work as much because he's a bit old. So I think I feel like Mario does a lot of the work. Yeah, I mean he's he's there, you know, he's cooking the calzones, you know, he's watching the tip jar, like he he's on the ground doing the actual day to day. Whereas his dad, you know, probably used to do that, but he stood he's stepped back a bit and he's a bit more a bit more of a, a an overseer or a, you know maybe yeah, behind the scenes kind of person. Yeah, you know, whereas um Mario's got to prove his worth or, or he's got to you know hmm. he's got to. He's got to do the hard yards like his dad did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's a very uh, short-tempered person. He blows a fuse quite easily, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, um, you know, again, he's another stereotype of like a very passionate, very angry, uh, short-tempered, you know, Italian man who sort of, yeah, you know, instead of talking to people, he just yells at people. Yells at them. I love how Michael Richards, like, there's the scene with Kramer and, like, getting his clothes dried in the pizza oven and they're all burnt. And then Kramer's like, you know, Mario's doing, like, the stereotypical Italian thing of yelling and using the hands to gesture how angry he is. And then I love how Kramer's kind of babbling in, like, these kind of Italian-like made-up mumbo-jumbo words. And he's doing yeah. the same hand signals. I love it. Yeah, he's, like, <laughs> approximating sounds that well, he's approximating Italian with kind of Italian sounding sounds or verbiage. Mm, but yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, it's a thing that is done a lot, you know, where it's just like the family guy do it, you know, they're like bibbidi bop boo You just you kind of just say words and add that like sing songy Italian accent to it. And uh mm. yeah, the way the way that um Michael Richards does it is great. Yeah, it's great. It's fabulous. And then as he leaves, he puts his uh, he's puts his foot on the counter and just kicks it a couple of times. <laughs> walks off yeah it's, it's like a, it's almost <laughs> like it's almost like giving you know giving flipping someone the bird you know it's like i'm gonna mm. put my foot on your counter it's like a sign of disrespect or something yeah i'll put my dirty my dirty shoe on there this is what i think of <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think that mara is also a very violent person too like because when george you know well first of all before i do get into his violent tendencies i think he probably thinks the worst of people like george you know george doesn't even have time to explain what he's doing with his hand in the tipping jar and mara just assumes that he's stealing so he doesn't give people a chance like i think he just thinks the worst of people he thinks everyone like is a thief everyone will try and con you you know it's kind of uh kind of sad he's like a bit of a misanthropic person yeah he jumps to conclusions and um mm, he does yeah yeah, he doesn't give people the benefit of the doubt. But maybe, you know, maybe he's like, uh, in a way, like the soup Nazi. Obviously not as militant <laughs> or strict and a bit more. When he's not yelling, he's a very, like, nice, relaxed person. He's like, yeah, you know, Calzoni's, they're great. Like, they're the best. And, like, he has a chat to George. Like, he's, he's nice. Um, it's only when, yeah. when someone ticks him off or when he perceives someone doing something wrong. You know, he's not as, like, staunch and militant as the soup Nazi, but... 
maybe maybe no. similar thing. You know, when we did the Super Nazi way back, that was our very first episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, four we years kind of, ago to the day. Yeah, we kind of theorized that you know he he'd had a lot of betrayal or misfortune in his past, and that kind of led him to have this really closed off lack of trust or faith in humanity and a zero mm. tolerance policy for any sort of foolery. Yeah, he, he doesn't tolerate fools, and I think um, to a certain extent, again, not as extreme as the the, the Super Nazi. Maybe that's happened with Mario. Maybe he's just hardened over years of, you know, like in bad, bad employees or bad customers or bad experiences in his personal life. You know, not that I'm excusing his uh, his violent temper, but, uh, you know, there might be a reason for it. Well, or maybe on the other hand, maybe Mario maybe doesn't think the worst of people. Maybe because I, I think because Paisano's is next to the Yankee Stadium, which is in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the Bronx like a rough area? Like I'm not familiar with New York, but wasn't the Bronx like like a rough part of town uh, i think so at the time maybe yeah i guess like most parts of new york before gentrification except maybe manhattan it was quite a working class mm-hmm. or it had working a class working yeah class, uh you know immigrant communities and stuff and there was probably rough elements but yeah i, I wouldn't know yeah i wouldn't know specifically so maybe mari has been the victim of like robberies like at the mm. store or he's probably had people like grab stuff out of the tip jar and run off you know maybe he's seen it because when george you know when george tries like he gets caught by and you know mario thinks that george is stealing mario pulls out the pizza that like the tray thing right away to try and hit george you know to threaten him with it so i think he's probably been on the receiving end of like a bur- like a robbery attempt or maybe he's had a few you know from some ruffians who've come into the store so maybe he's got to be a bit more defensive with weapons and stuff yeah and and uh, you know just sort of on that line of thinking i'm sure um you know if there was you know like any sports team the yankees fans are quite passionate and i'm sure they get a bit uh a bit rowdy when uh when the yankees lose so i'm sure you know baseball games go for three or four hours i can imagine a lot of yankees fans getting a bit uh a bit drunk and uh right not being in the best mood after a game and then coming there for dinner after a game or you know a late night feed maybe being just a bit rowdy and a bit um you know rambunctious and mm. uh, you know just just sort of being jerks you know like drunk sports fans or drunk drunk people in general but you know like I don't know, like kind of similar to like soccer hooligans where they just sort of, they get a bit out of control and they take it personally and they just get a bit rambunctious and cause a bit of trouble. Rambunctious. And, uh, and they probably tried to grab the tip jar and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, just give just doesn't like it. You know, he probably tests his yeah. patience. Oh, yeah. And I can imagine his, uh, you know, because his store... You know, he's always busy anyway because it's so highly regarded. But being, you know, I mean, how many people fit in Yankee Stadium? 50, 60, 80,000, whatever. Imagine how many people would crowd his store before and after a game day. It would be... Oh, yeah, lots. You know, and add booze to that and add just the the sort of the vibe you know, of a hometown sports game, you know, it would get a bit rowdy. And I'm sure- yeah, you can, sure, Yeah, sure. and you can see why Mario's- uh, Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it's stressful and uh, it tests his patience. And, you know, I'm sure, that, you know, some jerks come out of those scenarios and, and do the wrong thing. And he's probably just like, well, yeah, it, it just it just seems like he's worn down more than he- I don't think- Yeah, he's worn a, down, yeah. I don't think he's a, like an angry person entirely. I'm sure outside of the story, he's a bit more calm because he does have those calm, calmer conversations with Kramer and, um, and George. Uh, mm. But just, you know, he has a very, very low time tolerance and uh, not much patience for anything even if he's not right um you know george is trying to uh, explain but he just he just jumps to a conclusion because he's been burned so many times so many times yeah <laughs> well like kramer's clothes being burned in the oven you yeah. know i think he's 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 happy to do favors for people as well like he even puts kramer's clothes in the pizza oven obviously he takes them out and they're all burnt to a crisp and then kramer says what are these and he goes i don't know anything about clothes i don't know nothing yeah, about clothes i couldn't imagine him doing the the clothes cooking thing for anyone but kramer kramer you know but kramer no kramer just has that like unexplainable charm 
where if anyone, if George came in and was like, hey, um, my clothes are wet, can you put them in the oven? He'd probably say, what? And tell him to piss off. <laughs> but Kramer yeah. just is immediately, he just, people people just gravitate towards him and they just, mm-hmm. he just has that charm offensive. But yeah, 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 he does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't think anyone else but Kramer. You know, he he you know he broke through the the hard exterior of the soup Nazi, which is not many not something many people, if any other people, can do. So uh, yeah, I, not that this is about Mario per se, but just about that scene. And that's probably not even the weirdest request Mario had for that day. No, no, no. I'm sure. <laughs> sure, he had worse. Yeah, I'm sure he wants a lot of a lot of things put in his big pizza oven. No, oh, I'm sure, <laughs> and more. Anyway, that's all I had about Mario. What about you, Bun? Yeah, that's it. All right, cool. Uh, I guess you said you wanted to talk about uh, Steinbrenner and Newman off air a little bit. So, because Steinbrenner, obviously, he's the most prominent. Well, this is probably the most screen time he has in any episode. Yeah, I mean, nothing happens with Steinbrenner in this episode that uh, you know is is different to any of the other. He's just a crazy man. He's just a rant, yeah. ranting lunatic, very impulsive and just unpredictable and chaotic. You know, he's very much like that in this episode. But yeah, I mean, I think it was just worth noting his mm. increased screen time in this episode. Yeah, and he says that uh, to George that when he has has something, he sticks with it. So he'd been eating the same you know chili bowl in the bread for you know so many years, and uh, calzones are his uh, are his next thing to eat. No, yeah. his next addiction he just sticks with it i didn't think of this but um it kind of they kind of contradict each other because steinbrenner is a very chaotic impulsive unpredictable person you know he kind of just he just like shoots off at the mouth and like says stuff and you know makes people do says stuff and then he regrets it later yeah and he just sort of like like there's not a lot of like rhyme to his what's the word rhyme to his reason no rhyme and reason <laughs> there's no no method to his madness that's the one i was trying to think of yeah yeah right right yeah like there's not a lot of method to his madness it's just sort of whatever comes out of his brain comes out of his mouth but uh you know someone who eats the same lunch every day for what 12 13 years to me that would be someone mm. who's like very organized and methodical and thoughtful and uh like almost predictable so the fact that yeah. Brenner is very very committed to a lunch you know is sort of contradictory to his personality in general i just thought that that was an interesting little unexpected character trait of his yeah well i think like with you know like high profile business people or very busy like ceos and stuff people like steve jobs like when he was around, he'd wear the same outfit all the time. And I think yeah. it was a situation where like he didn't have time to pick outfits. Yeah. So he just like grabbed the same one because he had other stuff to do. I think Barack Obama was the same too. I think he only had like a certain number of suits and like yeah. he didn't have time to like, you know, pick which one. So he just had like four or five he liked and he just yeah. uh, grabbed them as he went. So he didn't have to think about it. So I yeah, guess, no, I guess Steinbrenner is probably the same. Yeah, no, no, that I understand what you're saying. But I guess like with Steve Jobs and Barack Obama, those parts of their personality make sense because overall they're both very like considered, organized, you know, nearly predictable people. You know, they're not, they're not sort of like Barack Obama or Steve Jobs didn't just get up on the podium and just rant and rave and carry on like lunatics. So it makes mm, sense sure. within what you understand of who they are that they're very orderly, you know, they like predictability and routine because they're busy and that's just the way their mind works. Whereas Steinbrenner's mind is a fucking, it's a circus. Oh, yeah. it's a circus. It's, a bit, it's, it's just a bit out of the line with, I understand what you're saying. And it might be a conscious choice of his. Well, you know, I'm very busy. Maybe I can just simplify one aspect of my life. But it's just unexpected, given how chaotic his his mind is. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And uh, yeah, he did. I guess he just he falls in love with the calzone. He has a bite in the first scene, and uh, he loves it, and he wants to stick with it. Oh, I mean, yeah, he becomes obsessed. He he sort of it's almost like the calzone. The smell of the calzone is almost like Nikki's uh, allure. Allure, yeah. Mm, you know, where he just mm, becomes mm, mm, he loses um the ability to think, and he becomes completely overwhelmed and you know entranced by um <laughs> it's almost like a primal a primal urge for him when he yeah, smells yeah yeah you know Norman, he, yeah. he becomes obsessed and like a like a dog with a bone he just he's like i can't <laughs> I can't not find out where this smell's coming from 
I got to drop everything. I got to drop meetings for this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just a little bit about about Newman. So we find out, you know, he's he's lazy as fuck, as we all know. But he find we find out he doesn't work in the rain. Yeah, I mean, it's just another example of Newman finding any reason not to do even the bare minimum. He's lazy as fuck. You know, yeah. he he get he dumps a lot of his mail. He's a little brat. He's a little boy. A little little brat and a little boy, and uh, he loves paisanos, and uh, he uses leverage against George because he knows that George, you know, needs to impress. Stein Brenner and I love when he says, "Oh, I hear that George Steinbrenner can be pretty angry." Yeah, you know, he's just taking advantage. It's a typical Newman move where you know he has something over someone, and it's not even a big deal. Like he's just, you know, he's going to get some free pizza and stuff. Like who cares? But for him, it's just like another little. He loves that sort of like little game playing, mind game stuff, you know, and just winning yeah, yeah. victories because that's just his personality. You know, everything's kind of like yeah. theatrical and Shakespearean and ridiculous. Where George is just like, yeah. "Hey, man, can you do me a favor?" Like George <laughs> just is trying to get him to help him out. But for Newman, it's like this thing that he has to win and, you know, yeah. make, make into like- The master ridiculous. manipulator. Yeah, like make into this ridiculous kind of game. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Newman, well, he, he does win out until George uh, George can't get the calzones anymore. Yeah, I mean, I guess Newman won, you know. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, neither of them really get what they want out of it. But, uh, you know, Newman, Newman gets it over George. Yeah, he does. But anyway, I think that were all the secondary characters from today, yeah? That's it. All right, let's uh, go to a one more break. And when we come back, we are finding out where the calzone sits in our- episodes we have done so far and if any of today's newer secondary characters make our top 20. Can I have your license and registration please? Absolutely. Nikki? Yeah? Would you mind bringing the officer the registration? Not at all. I got you on the radar at 93 miles per hour. Huh. You must have got me when I slowed down to take that curve because for a while there I was doing well over a hundred. Officer. Hi. Do you really have to give us a ticket? <laughs> All right, Nick. Now, Stephen, out of 166 episodes we have done so far, with three more episodes remaining after this one, where does the calzone sit for you? Uh, this one sits at number 29. 29? Wow. Very, very high up for you. Yeah, no, I really like this episode. Yeah, I, it was a cracker. Yeah, I think it's a really underrated episode. Um, I mean, it is, you know, a lot of people do talk about it, but it's not it's not up there with like the classics. And I don't think it's as good as, you know, the old timers, but uh, I think it's pretty, pretty close. I pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, Steinbrenner's great. George Newman, Kramer's on fire in this episode. I, I thought the, uh, it's one of the- <laughs> His clothes are on fire too. Exactly, that's true. <laughs> it's one of those rare episodes where all of the episode boyfriends and girlfriends are really, really good. Um, they're all different. Yeah, they actually have like, quite a bit of depth to them. Yeah, like Nikki, some, Nikki's, them, yeah. Nikki's intoxicating sort of allure is uh, not something that we've seen before in any of the others. And uh, Todd Gack's ability to just sort of get it over a lane is not something we've seen. So I thought they were really, really sort of refreshing concepts or takes um, or, mm, or aspects yeah. of the characters. And, uh, you know, they really add to the storyline. I, I just really like this episode. What about you? Uh, me, the nice number, number 69. Oh, nice. Nice, nice. Yeah, no, enjoyable episode. And uh, yeah, definitely probably one of the most like underrated uh, season seven episodes. Like, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought all the storylines were great. And yeah, like you said, I, I like how there was more depth to the episode boyfriends and girlfriends. And usually like sometimes it's Elaine and Jerry trying to get something out of the boyfriend and girlfriend. But this time it's actually the boyfriend and girlfriend that's instigating the whole the subplots, which I which I like. Yeah, no, you're right. Actually, I didn't think of that. But just the, the reversing of dynamics where it's normally Jerry 
Marianne Delane or, or Elaine sort of having the upper hand in the relationship. Whereas in this one, mm. you know, even though Jerry takes advantage of uh, Nikki's power, Nikki still kind of has the upper hand. Like she could just turn it, flip it on its head if she wanted to, you know. Yeah, yeah, she can. You know, Jerry walks a dog even after they're broken up. And uh, yeah, and, and Gak, until uh, until Elaine like figures out what's going on, Todd Gak kind of has it over Elaine. So that's that's a nice difference as well. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It, it was certainly refreshing. Indeed. Do any of the secondary characters appear in your top 20? None of the newer ones, but uh, George Steinbrenner is number one in my top 20 and Newman is number five. What about you? Uh, yeah, same. None of them. Oh, sorry, number 10 for Newman. My mistake. Uh, yeah, no, I really did like all the secondaries. Mario, nice. is, if I had a top 30, he'd probably appear. Um, even though okay. he's not an old angry man, he's a younger angry man. He still, he, yes. he still has a lot of the traits that I like uh, in my secondary characters. Lovely. He will become an old curmudgeon, you know, Italian dude one day. At some point, yeah. yep. In 30 at years, some point top 10 <laughs> for sure for sure anyway that was bid Bass. thank you so much for listening that that was our fourth anniversary episode and also our fourth episode or last episode of the entire series and next week Stephen we are doing a cracking season 9 episode the serenity now nice classic classic episode can't wait you can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts Apple Spotify yada 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 give us a five star review if you could we'd really appreciate it and uh, you can find us on social media on Facebook Twitter Instagram and Reddit we also have Discord and TikTok with no one on it at the moment so <laughs> just you can find all those links in the show notes and Stephen you can support us financially as well that's right for one-off donations you can uh, use our PayPal and if you want to contribute something a bit more regularly we do have a Patreon patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C and for a couple of bucks a month you do get access to a lot of bonus content uh, Curbcast our fictional season 11 which we've just recorded the final episode of and uh, should be available to our patrons by the time this episode goes out um, as well yes. as a whole back catalogue of interviews and reviews and all sorts of stuff and our normal episodes a week early than, uh, than our regular listeners that's right and you can still support us I mean we've got plenty of stuff happening after Bidwab Ask ends. So uh, like I've said the last couple of weeks, you know, you might be thinking you only got, you know, four episodes, now three left. You know, what's the point of uh, maybe I shouldn't sign up? Well, uh, you can. You can get all that bonus stuff and uh, future stuff. We're going to revamp the Patreon page over time and uh, you're going to get some different things. That's right. Uh, lots of cool things coming up and we'll reveal all those details over the next few weeks as we, uh, next few weeks, I should say, as we uh, wrap up Bidwab Ask. But uh, until next week, when we do the Serenity Now, I am Stephen. And I'm Ivan. And we'll catch you on next week for the Serenity Serenity now! Serenity now!